This is J.G. Hertz, the General Mar Talker on Deep Space Nine, and you're listening to Trek FM. Hello and welcome to Season 6, Episode 23 of Commentary, Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. I'm Mike, and I'm joined today once again by Grace from Women at Warp. How's it going, Grace? It's great to be here, Mike. Yeah, thanks for for joining me uh, yet again to talk about some some Psycho. Uh, This is Part 2 in our series on Robert... I'm always up for Psychos. Yeah, I know, right? I mean, it's it's the best. It really is (laughs) the best, and... uh, Well, it's October. What more could you want, really? Exactly, exactly, you know? Um... Today is part two in our series on Psycho uh, and Robert Block and Joseph Stefano. And today we're going to be looking at Robert Block's original novel, uh, Psycho. Um, So yeah. Now, okay, going to start this off by saying spoilers, spoilers. If you haven't read the book or seen the movie, we are going to spoil the hell out of this thing. So sorry, there's no other way to talk about it. We're going to spoil it so hard, you're not even going to believe it. (laughs) I mean, you, there's no other way to talk about the, the the thing, you know, because it's such a... No, definitely not. In a story like Psycho, you cannot discuss it without talking about the twist at the end. Which I guess doesn't really count as a twist after, like, say, how many decades? Yeah, it's been like 55 years since the movie came out, 56 since the book came out. Yeah, so, it, it, it's past spoil date. <laughs> yeah, and, and also, I mean, to be completely fair... If you haven't seen Psycho, like, why are you listening to us? Why are you not watching Psycho right now? Yeah, it's true. You're. Why are you going? You're skipping an integral part of the experience. Yeah. So, I so mean, just talk about putting the cart before the horse, man. You're ta- you're you're all of those film students out there would be ashamed of you. Yeah, you're missing out on on an integral part of the the life experience. You know, I mean, come on, it's. Oh. It's true. It's anyway. totally true. So yeah. So so that makes you the real psycho here. <laughs> Truth hurts, you know. Yeah, I said it. I said it. <laughs> it's not untrue. Um okay. Yeah. So the book, Robert Block's book came out in 1959 and uh yeah, I, is this the first time you've read it? It is. I mentioned that I'd read some other pulp paperbacks by Block before, but I was really honestly holding out for a reason to start reading Psycho, because it is Psycho. It's the basis for the definitive slasher movie of all time. I was really just kind of like, oh, but what if it's not as good as I want it to be? Or what if it's too scary? What if it's not scary enough? But finally having had an excuse to do it, I just took the plunge. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, I I read it when the uh, the Gus Van Sant remake came out back in 98. Uh, which I, I was talking about with uh, John off mic last week. Well, we'll talk about that next week, I, you know, but whatever. Okay. Uh, oh, yeah. There's going to be a lot to talk about <laughs> about that one. And, yeah, and we're... we're... Another spoiler there for you. <laughs> and, and we're going to try the, the impossible task this week of talking about this book without talking about the movie, since we are going to be comparing the two in a couple weeks. So, yeah, we'll, we'll try. We are going to do the impossible. We, we Yeah, we'll try. Or, or die trying. 
But yeah, this was my second time reading it. And uh, yeah, I mean, the the first time was obviously because, you know, everyone was going psycho crazy with the remake and everything. And, uh, and, and this psycho killer, (laughs) Keskase. And, and, and this, this time is, you know, obviously for, for this thing, but I, I was happy to revisit it. So I guess first things first, what, what did you think about the book? I thought it was a tremendously fun read. Um, as far as slasher novels go, it's definitely not my first, but it definitely was distinct, not just in the fact that I had really built myself up for it, but in the fact that it does a very good job of having the slow build, and there's lots of little slow builds with little payoffs, which make it just such a roller coaster of a read, and it was absolutely fun. It was absolutely just fun. It was spooky. It was engaging. I I just really, really liked it. I really enjoyed getting sucked into this world that Block built. Yeah, it really is very vivid, you know? Um it it, mm-hmm. it does a, it's so immersive. Yeah, yeah. And um it's it 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 really does, yeah, create a sense of, of, of place and everything like that and a sense of character, you know. Um and, and I think that it's really interesting it's something that I don't know. I mean, it's it's very complex for a, a book like this, where you've got all of these different characters, all with their own, you know, motivations, which are completely sort of independent of each other, and the way that they sort of tie in together, where everyone's sort of like at odds, but for reasons that are not really real, like everyone thinks that everyone else's motivations are different from what they actually are and stuff like that. And I Well, it really does stick to that old adage of every character should think that they are the main character in their story. Everyone has their very own specific set of motivation and that's followed through with beautifully here, I think. It all ends up twisting together to have a bunch of different fleshed out characters in the uh, just kind of dropped into this story. Yeah, and and one of the cool things about it is like everybody thinks they're in a different genre than they're actually in, you know. <laughs> Definitely. And I, yeah, I think that that's super cool too. Um, but I, I also love, you know, just sort of like the characterization, uh, in particular of of Norman, and you know, I mean, it's like I was saying, it's really hard to not compare this to the the movie. But I mean, without it really is with, yeah. with, without comparing it to the movie, you know, I, I I guess you can say that one of the things which is awesome about this is that it very much is a book. You know, it takes advantage of oh, what definitely. of what the medium has to offer, and it exploits that. You know, to 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 the fullest extent. You know, the idea it really does make usage of the narrative to give you the full perspective of uh, Norman and really get every little thing that's passing through his head. And that's just really adds to the unsettling level of it. Like you're you're riding shotgun and you're not entirely sure who the driver is. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. I mean, by by telling it, which is the beauty of an unreliable narrator, really. Yeah, yeah, right. By by telling it from Norman's perspective, you get that unreliable narrator, and it allows for the twist to occur. But you get all of these these scenes and great character moments uh, between Norman and his mother, even though his mother is not there. You know, it's it's spoiler, re- spoiler, <laughs> spoiler. spoiler. 
Yeah, it's 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 really it's really pretty great, you know, and and it also you know serves the the kind of like fake out, which is something which um, I kind of love when when stories do this, where you know it, it is a tremendously well executed fake out too. I mean, I was I had seen the movie before and I was expecting it, but at the same time. I was not expecting for the mother to be as fleshed out as she was. And like we were saying earlier, everyone is fleshed out. Everyone has a motivation. Everyone has uh, their personality and quirks. And the mother is just so alive. And it really reminds you to her, she's com- to Norman, she's completely alive. She just <laughs> happens to be dead in the real world. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, it also sort of like... Um, gives you you know because as as the other characters are starting to sort of like peel back the layers and and start mm-hmm. see what's going on at one point you you're thinking like is this is this supernatural like you know did he actually bring her back to life you know how how is this working and at the same time like there are all of these hints which are dropped throughout the story which sort of point to especially like when when you're reading it having seen the movie and you know knowing the twist mm-hmm. going into it like there's all these little things which sort of like point to it like you know Norman reading a book and saying like you know I think I might have a mild yeah, wonder, case of schizophrenia yeah, I wonder what would go into having to skin someone alive or stuff them I yeah. wonder yeah mm-hmm. there's the whole yeah. taxidermy thing yeah I mean it's it's crazy it's like all there are just so many little moments that kind of build and just amp the uh, unease up another notch and if you were to go into it uh, without expecting the ending that oh, I can only imagine how scary that would be just the kind of upping the ante every couple of chapters or so to bring to the final twist of surprise we were telling you this thing the whole time and you didn't figure it out yeah yeah it's it's great yeah it, it really is great um but 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 i love how you know even though it's sort of leading you down this road of the supernatural it then comes back and says nope nope this is real this is something that could actually happen and to me i mean i don't know i maybe i'm weird in, in this sense but i i i i'm much more afraid of stories like this than stories that have supernatural elements because oh absolutely it's something absolutely. it's something that could happen you know and i mean I've, I, I mean, I don't know. When I was a kid, my family would always take these road trips. You know, every summer we would take like a two week trip across country, and usually, I mean, they're almost every night. You know, we would get tired and pull off to a hotel like this. You know, sometimes in the middle Oof, of a rainstorm yeah. or whatever, and you really don't. I mean, it's like one dude. You know, he's. You don't know who he is. He's got a key to the room that you're staying in. You don't know what else was going on in that room. It's kind of terrifying, you know? It absolutely is. And um, it's repeating a sort of creative quirk with a lot of horror writers. Uh, Block, Robert, uh, Jack Ketchum, uh, Stephen King, all of whom have said that they go out of their way to write the things that specifically scare them. which on one hand gives you a great way to identify with what's actually scary to other people, but also makes it something that you can palpably understand as uh, 
Oh, what am I saying here? Um, it's feasibly frightening, and a lot of those writers who draw from true crime, like Locke did here with the Ed Gein case, found it was the realism and it was the reality of the whole thing that made it so especially scary. I mean, the fact is that you start this book out and you get... One of the opening scenes is Norman reading that book about uh, the Incans and about their rituals, and he paints this very graphic image that's almost fantastical of watching one of these brutal ceremonies and beating on the drums made out of a dead body. And I think that's the point where it starts, where your mind wants to take it to this sort of fantasy land, to believe this is an unreal thing, that this fear and that these sort of inclinations that we've already seen Norman having as being part of this fantastic universe that is separated from reality. But the progression of the book is so based in reality. We see all these characters' lives and their very real lives and all the minutiae of what goes into their lives, and that just plants the whole thing so firmly in reality that it makes all the gore and the violence feel like it's been jabbed in there, and that makes it so much more uncomfortable when you are forced to think of it in the context of, yeah, every now and then, as people, we are forced into situations where we have to put our lives in the hands of complete strangers, and we don't know whether those people are sane or not. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely true. You know, I mean, you know, like you're saying, like starting off the book with that thing where it's like presented as this very sort of like exotic like even though it's it's you know real it's very much something that people reading the book can't relate to mm -hmm. you know it's like you know these yeah. are, these are people who are living in you know let's say california or something and it's like that's that's yeah. like a completely different world and then to, to bring that sort of full circle and be like no no let's let's see that type of thing here in you know in san francisco or wherever it is it's like what oh that that's that is terrifying for sure and the yeah there's this great uh if i can bring things really dark for a second there's a great passage in uh eli weissel's night mm -hmm. his holocaust account where he talks about how from a distance like seeing the things and hearing about all of the torture it was just kind of like it was something you could put in the back of your head Kind of like hearing about the tortures of the Spanish Inquisition. It just wasn't really real until it was real, and then it was horrifying. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. That sort of thing. Yeah. And I think uh, the story of Ed Gein, which we've established as kind of the basis for that, is also a really good example of that, of people being able to say, well, things like that don't happen around here until they do, and then it really happens. Yeah, um, you know, yeah. I, I'm I'm in Chicago, and uh, I don't know. Have you ever seen Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> another really uncomfortable one to watch. Yeah, you know, I mean, that's a movie which I watched because it was like directed by a guy who had graduated from my my film school and everything, and you know, I had heard great things. Oh, wow. And then yeah, and then I'm I'm sitting there watching it, and I'm like, this is. Like that's a street that I I drive down on a regular basis. That's kind of 
okay, you That's know, especially real for you then. Yeah, it's like this is this is like r- literally close to home for me. You know, I mean, like within walking distance. Uh, you know, and now I have to like I watched it at my friend's house, and it was like late at night, and then I had to walk home, and I'm like, oh, this is fun. You know, and it, it, and the, then you hear like the backstory of it, and it's like, yeah, this is loosely based on on two guys who actually did this. You know. And it's like that. And I bet you can't go down some of those streets anymore without thinking about that. No, I mean every time I I drive down Lower Wacker Drive, I'm like, I just hope I don't get a flat tire. Just please, whatever whatever happens here, don't no flat tires, you know. And you know the same way because of this book, we've now got this cultural consciousness of I'm going to a hotel. Does it look like a hotel with security cameras? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I know. I mean, like you know the 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 shower. You know, I mean that's a big thing. Like people don't take showers because of this this thing you know which is insane yeah but i mean that's that's part of it but the the, and it oh go ahead it forces you to think about showering as being a very vulnerable moment which it is because we get we get the murder itself isn't that graphically described we mostly are described the aftermath but the scene leading up to it you just know something bad is going to happen and you just hear them describing the woman getting undressed you know checking herself out in the mirror and then hopping into the shower and not being able to hear anything she might as well be dead to the world already because the shower is isolated it's loud it's somewhere you can't really jump out of properly yeah and it's one of those real things that you're always kind of worried about in the shower anyway for sure yeah and then you know on top of all of this is this sort of like internal horror you know where after you, you you realize what's going on and and you realize that this is a guy who you know is schizophrenic or you know whatever multiple personalities and he's doing all this stuff and he's not even aware that he's the one who's doing it i mean that's a terrifying concept in and of itself you know it really is a great level of internal horror um based on the idea of you know forcing someone to question their own sanity, to question their own narrative. And um, it does make me wonder, though, about this consistent narrative that we seem to see in horror of uh, mental illness being just the main thing that can make a villain. And that always kind of, you know, that always kind of grinds my gears a little bit. But I feel like this is a case where we, at least to a certain degree, get Norman as not necessarily a character who we like or a character who we as readers get along with, but as someone who we can sympathize with, someone who we're brought along on the ride with. We are not shown that Norman is an inherently bad guy. We're just, he's just a guy who has very violent compulsions that have been pushed way back into his consciousness that just kind of rupture out every now and then. Yeah, I mean, throughout the book, you, you get the impression and that... And he's terrifying, but yeah. at the same time, he's the guy who we're along for the ride with. Yeah, I mean, you you get the impression that he might have a hair trigger when it comes to, you know, anger management issues or whatever. But at the same time, like, he is as horrified by what's going on. We are not told from the beginning, bad, 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 bad. This is a horrible person. Horrible, horrible, horrible person. This is a complicated character. Yeah. and This is a full person. and, And he's just as scared as everyone else is, you know? And oh, yeah. and he's and he's torn between you know wanting to do the right thing and his loyalty to his his mother, which is certainly something which which people can relate to, you know, in general. His loyalty to his mother and this sort of encasement in this world he has always known, and that is his comfort zone that he 
really would not know how to function without. It really says a lot uh, in that case. And also, it makes you really curious about what how the book could be analyzed um, when talking about the results of child abuse. Yeah. Uh, again, I'm getting dark here, but it really makes you think about the cycle of violence when um, people are raised by manipulative or by parents who h- harm them mentally, emotionally, physically. It makes you really take into account the fact that even when the parent is gone and the children are adults, that level of hurt never ends and it will find its own way to keep perpetuating which is really frightening um because you you know this was mother acting the whole time but she didn't even have to be there to get norman to do what she wanted him to do she instilled that in him yeah and no which is terrifying right and no one can even talk him out of it like you know mary tries to say like hey you don't have to do this you know live your own life and he's like what are you talking about that's i I could never do that you know this is my life yeah 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 Yeah. he's he's as much a a victim as anyone or he's the the first and honestly that part is one of the scariest parts of the book for me him just having her confront him and be like hey you know you you could leave. It sounds like your mother is not good for you. And him having the, don't talk about my mom like that. She's not crazy freak out. Yeah. That, the hair trigger temper is something that's always frightening for me personally. And also, I think it really does add to the level of the still waters are running deep. And Norman really does have something that he's holding back. But it forces you to imagine what caused all that. What is bubbling to the surface from the bottom? Yeah, and and you know at, at the end when they do sort of the you know analysis of of Norman, you know they talk about like how after like a failed attempt to, to to join the army or something like that, it was somewhere around this time where his mother decided that he would never leave the the house again. You know, and it's like that it, it it's not even just sort of like um, a, a a blind form of of abuse where you don't even know what the effects are but it's like this she was deliberately trying to keep him down absolutely and And that's that's another part of it everything was very deliberate and you look at norman in hindsight and you look at what we know about his mother and you think well god the guy didn't stand a chance from the beginning yeah 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 Yeah. i mean he like set up to fail right he's he really was you know that that little boy the whole time you know like they Mm -hmm. say in the book all right. Well, um, let let's let's uh, move on a little bit and and take a look at at this book in relation to what we've seen from Robert Block in Star Trek and see if we can draw any parallels to to this and and his his uh, TV episodes. Um, I know that seems kind of weird, but I mean, do you? Yeah, it's what we're here for. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess it's true. Weird is relative when you're talking about a book about a guy who taxidermies his mother, so... This is true. I think, with it, true. comparatively speaking, we're on the right track. All right, all right. That's 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 good to know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I do see some some similarities, or not, I mean, I'm not to say similarities, but some ties between this and and his Star Trek stuff, which, you know, kind of helps to, to show what, what his, his voice is. Because, I mean... Block's voice, I think, tends to get lost in both of these things because 
every no one thinks of Psycho as a book; they think of it as a movie. And not only that, but it's an Alfred Hitchcock movie. You know, he's one of the few mm-hmm. like celebrity directors who's more famous than the actors who are in his movies. You know, and and right. Then, and but with both that and Star Trek, it's a very very much a spectacle based story. It's all very visual. That's what usually comes to mind first when you're thinking about it, not the planning that went behind it. So right. it is really interesting to be able to draw parallels where you can find them. Yeah, and Star Trek being, you know, a show where he was not the creator or anything like that, you know, even though he did write these episodes, there was obviously a lot of rewriting and everything like that. So, I mean, Block's voice is in danger of being lost in both of these things. So it's it's kind of cool right. to, to, to look at them and see, like, well, what was it that he brought to the table? Um, the voice is buried in spectacle, as it were. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So, I mean, do you, do you see any uh, any connections between this and his, his Trek episodes? Oh, definitely. Well, for one thing, we see his interest in uh, serial killers and kind of the slasher horror genre. We get to see that in... Uh, Oh, I'm completely blanking on the name, but the Jack the Ripper one. Wolf, of the, Wolf in the Fold. Uh, abs- yeah, that's the one. And the sort of examination of the backstory behind the Jack the Ripper mythos that he kind of wrote for it, the same way we see this sort of backstory for Norman here. Uh, it's very clear that Block has an interest in not only people who are violent or have psychotic tendencies, but what makes them that way and how they get there and what the result of that is. It would be one thing to just focus immediately on the murder and, like, the one scene of someone getting killed, but he really is interested in what goes on around it, the before and after, in addition to the deed. Yeah, and and, and also um, there's kind of a similarity between Wolf in the Fold and, and Psycho in that there's an uncertainty on the part of the supposed killer as to whether or not they actually are the killer, you know? I mean, it's a little different in Star Trek because, like, Scotty, for example, is is not the killer, but he doesn't know that, and he's freaking out about it because he doesn't know whether or not he actually did kill these people. We also... We also kind of get a similar thing with What Are Little Girls Made Of, where we've got the revelation at the end that... uh, the doctor is also a robot, isn't? I think I'm remembering that correctly. Yeah. But whether that holds him as a character accountable for it if he was built by someone else. So there's that level of questionable accountability that seems to be a running theme for him. Yeah, and and sort of the yeah that and also I think from from the outside, uh, kind of looking at it from the perspective of like Mary and and her relationship with. Uh, uh, Loomis, Sam Loomis, right? That's the dude's name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, you know, I mean that that's kind of similar to to what Chapel's got going on, you know, with with her fiance in that episode too, where it's definitely, like, you know, Block she... also seems to have a real interest in complicated relationships. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she doesn't she doesn't know if he's he's alive or not, and you know, once she gets to the surface and sees this guy and he turns out to be something completely different from what she thought he was. And in this case, it's because, well, he's a robot. But, you know, in, in Psycho... Oh, don't you hate it when that happens? <laughs> I know. You like a guy, he turns out to be a robot. It it sucks, but, you know, I mean, I, these things happen, I guess. Story of my life. <laughs> and, you know, in, in Psycho, 
that kind of happens to to Sam where you know he's I mean you know I guess I guess it was a different time but you know I mean he thought he really knew this woman who he spent three days with on a boat um, and then and then like wrote <laughs> if you don't know someone times. after three days on a boat how do you know them <laughs> I know right really. <laughs> But you know, I will never understand people in those days. It's, we met for three hours. It must be love. Yeah, yeah. I'll write to you every week, and you know, but you know, when once, but he, it seems like he's questioning that too. He's questioning that sort of like, mm. uh, oh, I mean, whatever that 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 thing was. But you know, here, you know, this guy all of a sudden out of the blue, you know, is is told by by his fiance's sister that you know, yeah, she stole. Four is it four thousand? It's forty thousand, right? She stole forty thousand. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because in the in the she's a thief and she did it for you. Just FYI. Yeah, and he's like, "What? I I didn't want. No, I was doing because I was making the money and the we were all good and we were going to get married and all yeah. that stuff." And you know, there is really repeatedly this sort of question of like, how well do you know people? You know, do you really know them? I mean, to, to everyone living in that. Which t- is scary because Norman in and of himself, uh, Mary getting killed by him is really based entirely on how well can you judge someone just at first glance? How much, how would you be able to tell if someone was secretly holding a knife behind their back? How yeah. would you know? Yeah. And, and would you be able to? Right. And everyone in town, you know, had had the wrong impression of Norman, too. You know, everyone was like, well, you know, he's kind of weird, but whatever. You know, he's he's a cool he's, guy. He's just a little a little mama's boy who hangs out at the hotel, likes to stuff birds. Yeah, he's quiet. He keeps to himself. He doesn't cause any trouble. You know, what are you, you going to do? So again, still waters. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely see that stuff there in terms of cat's paw. I, I don't know. I mean, wait, it's 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 scary. I <laughs> yeah. guess, you know, whatever. But uh, there's there's loud noises. I don't know. <laughs> there's I, a violin in there somewhere. Uh, yeah, I I mean, I guess maybe it's tapping into you know our deepest darkest fears of something or other. Uh, that's a bit of a stretch. Or trying to. Yeah, I I really yeah. I really do think that that cat's paw was a result of like. You know, we want to do a Halloween episode. We want it to be scary. Oh, well, we've got, you know, Block over here. He writes the scary stuff. Let's just get get him Block, to do it. Block, you do scary. Do yeah. something scary. Throw some scary at the screen until something <laughs> sticks. Exactly. What, that's it? Okay, I guess it's scary. Yeah. You know, I mean, I... I, I and re- that would be my single-handed impression of the original producers of Star Trek. <laughs> I like yeah. it. I think I'll, it's, I'll do a one-man show this winter. I think it's accurate. I, I would totally watch that Thank show. You. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, but no, I, I really do think that that's kind of how it went down. I don't know. But, you know, whatever. Cat's Paw is a lost cause. Yeah, that's, a, that's the most I can gather from it, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Well, a- any uh, any final thoughts on, on Psycho, the book? Well, I really do like, again... All of the characters are fleshed out, and none of them, except for Mother, who isn't really there, is really exactly bad. They're antagonistic, like Norman in particular. He's not trying to act out of malice. This is just a compulsion he has. But it's interesting that he and just about every other main character in the story is just someone who's in over their head. 
and that's what the plot is kind of made up of people who are in over their head at different depths interacting with each other yeah yeah i i i was really kind of impressed with this book again i mean the first time i i read it i'll admit i was basically just trying to compare it to the movie you know and seeing where <laughs> where the the similarities and differences were but here i was making a a very uh, strong effort to look at it as its own thing and i think what 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 i saw was you know something which is definitely a a thing of its medium you know which i i always mm-hmm. love when uh, a a piece of art or a story or whatever takes full advantage of of whatever uh format it's it's telling that story in you know um it, oh definitely psycho definitely is a story that in this form works beautifully yeah it works beautifully in a different form also but we'll be talking about that next week right and and but reading it like if i were to just read this book and there were no movie i'd be like i don't know you know how if i were to like adapt this into a movie i'd probably Mm. go i'd probably go like the sixth sense route you know and have him (laughs) talking talking to to mother or whatever and spoilers for the sixth sense but uh i take it you've seen the sixth sense well, yes. yeah. Okay, all right. I, I've recently run into like five people who have never heard of the movie, and I'm like, what's going on? I don't understand. What, so, seriously? Do they live in caves? <laughs> they're young. Or a, or a land without cable TV? They're, 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 How does that work? They're like, you know, early 20s, and it's strange. I don't know. It's... it's uh, <laughs> Whatever. I know. What, what can you do? But I, We have to deal with the culturally unrefined every day for a lot in life. <laughs> Yep. But regardless, you know, I mean, it's that's probably how I would have done it, which is completely unoriginal. It's completely literal. And, you know, it kind of speaks to how great this story is in that it 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 is very much of its medium. And and I really like things like that. So I don't know of its medium. And as we get to learn later on, it's also very adaptable. It is. It is. But I I would say I would say that the movie is also very much of its medium, you know. Oh, absolutely. So, so. I, I at least get to say that when reading the book, I got to have the very heady experience of listening to it as an audiobook uh, while riding on a bus in the middle of a rainstorm <laughs> from Seattle to Portland, Oregon. And if you've ever had the experience of listening to a story be read to you that's all about basically, can you trust that stranger next to you? <laughs> When you are literally in a giant metal tube surrounded by strangers on the rainiest and slipperiest of roads, it, it gives you it gives you a memorable experience. It really does. That sounds that sounds pretty good. That sounds pretty good. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, um, I I listened to it uh, as well, uh, but I was pretty much by myself at home, so not mm-hmm. not not quite the same effect. Good way to do it too. I guess so. Yeah. Um, well, then you get the full Norman Bates experience, don't you? I guess that's true. I guess that's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was a joke. Don't worry. So. I'm not implying you're a serial killer, I promise. Uh, it's okay. It wouldn't be the first time. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, all right. Well, that's that's the book. And next week, yeah, we'll be looking at the movie, which is fun, too. I, I can't wait. I, I'm actually... 
lucky enough that uh, I'm going to get to see the movie on the big screen tomorrow night. So I'm super oh, excited about awesome. that. Yeah, there's a, a local the- film critic who uh, every month he shows a, a different movie at, at a really nice theater. And this month is Psycho. So it's it's going to be pretty awesome. But mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. But we'll talk about that next week. Um, Excellent. Before we go, though, okay, uh, we, we mm-hmm. uh, I just want to uh, touch on this. Um, James Kahn, who we had on the show a few months back, he was uh, a writer and producer of Voyager during Season 7, and he also wrote, like, the Return of the Jedi novelization and the Poltergeist novelization and the Goonies novelization. Anyway, he, he's been working on a, a movie. He talked about it briefly with us. It's called Wrong Side Bob. It's based on a, um, uh, an album that he uh, recorded himself. The guy is like a genius. He's a, he's a, a medical doctor. He's a, an author, a screenwriter, director, and a musician. You know, I mean, crazy. But um, really a renaissance man. Exactly, exactly. And he's it got, got this thing, Wrong Side Bob, this movie, which he's, he's um, working on. And they're starting up an Indiegogo campaign on October 15th. So I, I just wanted to give a, a shout out uh, in regards to that. It's written and directed by and, and co-produced by him. Written, co-directed, and co-produced by him. Um, Wrong Side Bob was inspired by Khan's own CD of roots music, Man Walks Into a Bar. The film stars distinguished actor, singer, songwriter Ronnie Cox in the title role. Um, the comedy drama film concerns a drifter with amnesia struggling to remember his past who runs into Bob, a man desperate to forget his own past. With help from some of the oddball regulars in the roadhouse, both men achieve a measure of peace at the end. Spoilers. Though not without <laughs> trouble along the way and a bittersweet resolution. Uh, this is a film about the masks we all wear, says writer-director Khan, the way we hide our deepest shadows from the world and often from ourselves as well. Finally, the production is proud to announce it will donate 1% of all Indiegogo donations to Enable, um, an organization whose mission is to make and give away prosthetic hands to children who need them. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, yeah. He's, you know, he, he's a, a medical doctor himself, and he feels strongly about the importance of giving back after being so fortunate in his own life. And he knows well the value of restoring a young person's hand. After all, in writing Return of the Jedi, <laughs> he was inspired by Luke Skywalker, who, despite having his hand amputated by Darth Vader, still went on to get a prosthetic hand and save the galaxy. Spoilers. The Indiegogo launch site will be up on October 15th, so please come and check it out. Give if you can, and if you can't, just spread the word. It'll be a cool movie, it helps a good cause, and there are going to be some great perks, including valuable Return of the Jedi memorabilia. So definitely go check that out. I mean, this show is all about, you know, the the work that Star Trek creators do outside of Star Trek. He's a Star Trek creator. He's trying to make a movie outside of Star Trek, so let's help him out. Go check it out. Go be see a part of this in action. Be part of it. Yeah, and in a that's few, your call to action, listeners. <laughs> and in a few weeks, uh, James going to come onto the show and tell us a little bit about Wrong Side Bob himself. So be sure to look look out for that in in a couple weeks. All right, 
Well, it's been fun talking about Psycho today, but this isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on Trek FM this week. So here's a look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. You did good, Captain Kirk. Is oh, he in that it? last shot or he not? Yes, he is. Oh, wait a minute. Oh. Oh, wait a so, minute. So, so okay, the, wait. Did I they like pull the a weekend theories... at Bernie's or something? Like, they just pulled him up there, know. you know? He's okay. Well, it's cool. Earl Grey. Daddy, do pets have a Nexus 2? <laughs> the Pexus. Kirk had a, a dog in the Nexus 2, didn't he? Oh, uh, Butler. Butler. Butler is now <laughs> Shadow. So we have the adventures homeward bound of Butler, Porthos, and Spot. Will they make it back to their owners in Montana? The Orb. Well, apparently, and did you find this interesting, Matthew? Apparently, the Navark reports directly to the prophets. Which is awkward because they don't always show up for meetings. So, right. yeah. Plus, you never know what time the meeting is really going to be, right? That is true. It could have been yesterday and you might have missed it. The Ready Room. Do you think this episode would have been so popular and remain a fan favorite if the Enterprise had been overrun with zebra mussels? <laughs> <laughs> to the journey! It's it's so average American. It's like Joe Smith. And no offense to Joe Smith, it's just, I could have tried a little harder. I mean, come on. You might as well call her Jane Doe. So far, not off to a good start. So far, I'm judging you, Shark. Give me a moment. Give me a moment. Commentary, Trek stars. And I remember like being like in midair having this conversation with his brother and saying, this could be the best Star Trek ever, and then just, like, landing on the ground. Is it a metaphor for how you feel about Voyager as a series? No comment. <laughs> the 602 Club. The young adult novels have their own um, framing devices that tie in to The Force Awakens, and I think that if they had uh, put those front and center, maybe even expanded one of them, uh, or what have you, I think that would have served the strategy better. I definitely do. Literary treks. Well, that really is the bottom line, you know. And and I think it's particularly uh, difficult with this group of characters because in some ways you're looking at folks who literally are the brightest and the best, right? So in some ways we need them not to have feet of clay. We need them to be so much better and stronger than we are so that we have something to shoot for. Women at Warp. There's always a touchstone, and this was as close to a touchstone as they ever got with Pulaski. Plus, she banged Riker's dad. <laughs> oh, Andy. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just think it's so funny. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. And beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show as they search iTunes. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Windows Phone. And of course, you can stream and download the MP3 files from our website and grab the RSS link as well. Another way that you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, 
You'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels, along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trek.fm. If you want to contact us, you can fill out the form on trek.fm slash contact, or you can leave us a voicemail in the sidebar on the show page or go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm. On Twitter, you can find the network at trek.fm, or on Facebook, you can find the network at facebook.com slash trek.fm. Facebook is also where you'll find the Babel Conference, where we talk all about Star Trek and other things, Psycho, other things. Um, just type <laughs> type the Babel Conference into the search field. That's B-A-B-E-L on Facebook. Or go to uh, our website at trek.fm and click on the discussion tab on the menu bar. And you'll you'll you know it is good because we are there. Hey, we actually got an email about uh, our episode last week uh, from Paul. Did we? Yeah, yeah. He said during episode one fifty two, you guys mentioned you were surprised Christine Chapel didn't make a substantial impact on other episodes besides what are little girls made of. Mark Cushman in These Are the Voyages makes it clear that the network was very irritated that a married Gene Roddenberry would keep trying to cast his mistress in the show. I guess that makes sense, you know? I mean, I guess so. Un- unwanted drama. Uh, family on, family on... values, thy name is 60s TV. <laughs> yep. So, still, it's unfortunate since that was such a cool character that, uh, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Oh, well. It's all our loss, yeah. Y- yep, missed opportunities. What can you do? Mm-hmm. Oh, well. Well, well, you um, know, sulk about it, write the occasional fan fiction, same as we ever did. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, but hey, here's the thing, like, the JJ-verse, twice now, they've mentioned Chapel. we still haven't seen her. What's up with that? I know. I don't really like the way they've played her so far, but I would be interested in seeing what they could do with her. Again, there's potential there, if they could just take the leap. They're holding out so that they can have her as the chief medical officer on the Excelsior show, which is coming out next year. That would be rad. Oh, man, it would be the best. With Rand as first officer, come on. That would be awesome. Oh, dude. That would be amazing. Maybe maybe one day. Um, Fingers crossed. (laughs) So so where can people find you on the network and, and off? People can find us on iTunes at Women at Warp. They can find us on Facebook at Women at Warp. And they can find us on Twitter at, at Women at Warp. You can find me on Twitter at BoneCrusherJake, and you can read my writing on the Mythcreants blog. Yeah, as always, you can find me right here on Trek FM doing, well, 10 more episodes of Standard Orbit, and then we're leaving. I can finally say that. And uh, you can also find me on my website, CommentaryTrackStars.com, where I do Commentary Trackstar Babies. And you can find me on Twitter at Mumbles3K. And you can find the show on Twitter at ComTrackStars. And you can email us at ComTrackStars at gmail.com. All right. Before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor who helps us bring commentary, Trek stars, and all our shows to you each week. And our sponsor for this show is Audible.com. Audible is a great way for you to read all of the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have the time for. Books like Psycho by Robert Block. Yeah. 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 What are the odds? 
It was a dark and stormy night when Mary Crane, Crane glimpsed the unlit neon sign announcing the vacancy at the Bates Motel. Exhausted, lost, and at the end of her rope, she was eager for a hot shower and a bed for the night. Her room was musty but clean, and the manager seemed nice, if a little odd. This classic horror novel, which inspired the famous film by Alfred Hitchcock, has been thrilling people for 50 years. It introduced one of the most unexpectedly twisted villains, spoilers, of all time, Norman Bates, the reserved motel manager with a mother complex, and has been called the first psychoanalytical thriller. So there you go. You can get this book for free, along with, I didn't realize, but he wrote two sequels to this book. Like, yes, he did. There yeah. are two sequels to the movie also. But they're different. They're from... about as good as you would expect. <laughs> but they're different from the sequels to the book. Oh, yeah. The Like Psycho 2, the book, is not the same as Psycho 2, the movie, apparently. I know. I'm still holding out for Psycho 2, Electric Boogaloo, though. It would be great, right? Someday. And then Someday Psy- they'll answer my fan mail. Psycho 3D. I-, I just read today, apparently, there's a new Psycho novel which is being written. It's coming out. You don't the say. First, first one in twenty years, apparently. So that should be interesting. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. you can you can get this book for free and all of those books for free uh, since you listen to Trek FM. As a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a thirty day trial to see just how great Audible is. Just go to audibletrial.com/trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com/trekfm. And we thank Audible for supporting Commentary, Trek Stars, and the network. All right. So that's that. That's Psycho. Got the book down. Everyone's read the book. Mm-hmm. Now you got to go watch the movie and the Gus Van Sant movie. Or right? not. Or just the first one. <laughs> oh, the just Gus Van Sant could. movie is awesome. Okay. <laughs> but we'll talk about that next oh. week. Thank you very, right. thank you very much for for joining me, and uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, talking to you next week about the movie.